This is the longest win streak in baseball, folks, in 25 years. The A's have won 16 in a row. We're going to 20. We're going to 20. Well, to have a winning streak of anything like this duration, you have to be good, but there's an element of randomness to it. The 1927 Yankees, Ruth, Gehrig, Murderer's Row, some people still say the best team ever. Longest winning streak for them that year, nine. You guys try to analyze it from a number standpoint, and I'm telling you, there is no explanation for what's occurring right now. It's bigger than you know, a whole bunch of superstitions going on. The have to do the same thing. I hope I'm not jinxing it, but the all-time record of 20 does not seem impossible anymore. Today's we're on page one of the New York Times today. They are the story in sports in this entire country. Pitch. Here it is. Swing and a miss. Struck him out. Number 17. It's taken 71 years. The Oakland A's have tied the Philadelphia A's. The all Oakland A's are two wins away from tying the American League record. You could replay these 18 games 100 times over, and nobody wins 18 straight again. I mean, it's just, it defies everything we know about baseball. The most amazing thing you could ever imagine has happened over the last four days at the Coliseum. Everyone and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, uh, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group, The Real Shit. Uh, you are catching us on a very special day because this is our 17th episode ever. Uh, with the highest bracket unveiled and voters' choice still yet to be decided, we discuss the contenders and possible upsets as well as curating our own double features for the legendary actor Ed Harris. Uh, but our main focus is going to be on the screenwriter Aaron Sorkin. Uh, with two entries to dissect tonight, 2011's Moneyball and 2020's The Trial of the Chicago 7. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, uh, Rylan Johnson. How are you, sir? Charles, I'm doing great, man. We are back. I'm, I'm, I'm stoked. This, uh, this Sorkin guy makes me want to write my screenplay, finally. This guy can write. I'm telling you. But uh, we got a piece of news that came across our desk today about uh, Wonder Woman getting a push in theaters finally. But I guess the most noteworthy is also getting a run on HBO Max. You know, I'm not so keen on this one. I figure uh, you are, but you know what? I'm ready to go. I think we can do better. Parachute pants? Yeah. Um... Does, it, does everybody parachute now? Which is huge. It's a huge uh, release to go out, you know, on such a major uh, streaming site. So, what do you think? People have just been waiting too long, and they're just trying to get it out. What do you? I mean, what do you think their mindset is? It makes me want to get HBO Max, which is uh, would be my what fifth subscription here. I, I'm excited to see. I've been really excited to see Wonder Woman eighty four for a while now. Definitely a business move that's going to favor them. 
I think by far because people haven't been in theaters for going on six, seven months. I thought the the tenant, you know, weekend when it opened up should have been a movie like Wonder Woman, you know, kid friendly, fun adventure film, Marvel film, whatever you want to call it, DC, to really get people excited about going to the theaters again. Because if they put it in theaters, I'm definitely seeing it in theaters. But I don't think, you know, with current situation going on with COVID's uproar, I think a lot of people are going to avoid the theater. I think HBO Max is going to get a lot more subscriptions from this, and it might be the, the future where this is what happens. Jumping, 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 humming, 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 keep these bitches coming. Woo! A lot of movies are slated out uh, on Christmas Day. I wonder if they are just kind of hoping that the next six weeks are going to go just swimmingly. You know, maybe they can get uh, a few butts in the seats during Christmas time. But I do think that. That HBO Max is a huge shot in the arm for the streaming services. Warner Brothers owns HBO Max, and Disney owns, of course, Disney Plus and all of its subsidiaries. I mean, they got a huge market to pull from. And I mean, Disney Plus could essentially be the one to debut the new Marvel fourth phase. I think that's definitely where it's headed. Wonder Woman 84 is going to be a a deciding factor of what I think the next six months will look like in the movie theaters. You, You hit Tenet. Tenet is a... It's a home run as far as just a Christopher Nolan film. Like it's going to be quality. With Wonder Woman eighty four, I mean, the first Wonder Woman was a you know surprise hit with Batman v Superman and you know uh, Justice League. I wonder if people are that excited about Wonder Woman. Like I know you are, but do you think that HBO Max will get what they think they need out of this move? I think you know the numbers are going to be definitely way lower than you would get at a theater experience. But you know, for these streaming services, let's say. Wonder Woman's going to make $700 million. You can get a quarter of that. $200, $300 million for an HBO is big money. So, you know, are you a big uh, Christmas Day moviegoer, or were you growing up? You know, uh, not uh, not day of, but I, I loved going around Christmas time. Such a big moviegoer. I never went Christmas, and it's the biggest day of the year is what I hear from movie theater uh, workers. Yeah, I mean, everything else is closed. It's just, I'm just odd to me. I, I just My parents... Definitely weren't as big a movie bust as me, so they weren't taking us to the movies for Christmas. You know, it was like family day. I think a couple of occasions I went on Christmas Day. I remember where I went to go see the Black Christmas movie back in 2007, which is a terrible movie. Don't go watch it. But uh, I remember watching that on Christmas Day because it came out on Christmas Day. And I believe I watched Michael with John Travolta. I thought angels were cleaner. <clears throat> she doesn't mean to offend. Yeah, it's... it's yeah. Miss Winters is an angel expert, and she gets kind of literal. What she probably wants to know is, can you fly? I do not want to know if he can fly. I know he can't fly. Only little angels can fly because their wings fly. Says who? I just thought... Halos? Yes. Inner light? Yes. I'm not that kind of angel. (laughs) I think that came out Christmas Day. Like 97 or something like that. I think my parents and the whole family went out to go see that one. Yeah, John Travolta, The Angel. That was a that was not a good film. What are you talking about? I love that film. It was all right. I mean, Phenomenon is better than uh, Michael. I disagree, sir. I disagree. When it comes to late career Travolta, uh, Michael's where it's at. Uh, I'm sorry. We can agree to disagree, but... Right. Name as many mammals as you can in 60 seconds. Ready? Go. Hmm, 60 seconds. Well, how would you like that? How about alphabetical? 
aardvark, baboon, caribou, dolphin, eel, hippus, fox, gorilla, hyena, ibex, jackal, kangaroo, lion, marmoset, Newfoundland, ocelot, panda, rat, sloth, tiger, unicorn, varmint, whale, yak, zebra. Now, varmint is a stretch, so is Newfoundland. That's a dog breed. Unicorn is mythical, Euhippus is prehistoric, but you aren't being very specific, now where are you, Bob? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to be more specific. Moving on. <laughs> moving on, moving on. Uh, next thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, of course, the bracket coming up. We're in a unique scenario because it's actually just you and me doing the duo right before a bracket starts so we can have kind of a back and forth about you know maybe speculation uh, i dropped the voters choice uh, poll a couple days ago looks like gone in 60 seconds just ran off with it it is it is the clear winner uh, probably a guaranteed spot on the bracket i heard about kip are you considering a comeback tour do you think it can be done don't do this to me okay please please not now Oh, man. How many cars? 50. How many days? Three. How many in your crew? One, but I came here hoping to negotiate for a second. But then you also have a fish called Wanda, which is uh, a few a few votes, but not clearly the winner. Uh, we have uh, Entrapment, The Score, uh, Hell or High Water, and Inside Man all within that area. They could overtake it. But I think Gone in 60 Seconds is pretty secure. I liked how we got about 40-plus comments on that that uh, bracket post where people are engaged in that voter's choice. I like that. Good uh, selection. Somebody chimed in with some that I was like, eh, not, the heist isn't really the main focal point of that movie. It has a heist in it or... I think Gone in 60 Seconds is going to run away with it, and that'll be a fun one. I'm a big Giovanni Ribisi fan, so everybody knows I, know, I love Nick Cage, but it's also got my boy uh, Ribisi in there. He's always one of my favorites. Uh, he was in uh, Boiler Room. Hello? Hi, Mr. Davis. This is Ron calling you from the Daily News. How are you doing this morning? It's Davis, and I'm not interested. Okay, I'm sorry to bother you. Have a nice day. Wait a minute. Wait, that's your pitch? You consider that a sales call? Well, um... You know, I get a call from you guys every Saturday, and it's always the same half-assed attempt. If you guys want to close me, you should sell me. All right. All right, start again. Okay. Hi. This is Ron from the Daily News. How are you doing this morning? Shitty, what do you want? It's not what I want, sir. It's what you want. Ron, now we're talking. All right, what are you selling me? I liked him in Boiler Room. That one was good. And also that paranormal film with, with I can't remember what it is, uh, murder mystery movie. He plays uh, he plays the, the truck driver. Uh, Joyride. No, oh, no, no, that's oh. Paul Walker and Steve. Oh, God, it, it it leaves me right now. But um, yeah, Rubisi's had a good career. He's always he's always a solid pick. But as far as the the choices on the bracket currently, are there any ones that showed up here that you're like, oh shit, I forgot about that one. I think it can go many, many, many ways. I, I like the, the the wild cards that are thrown in there. Uh, Bottle Rocket's always a goofy one. Lockstock, if you're a really big um, fan of Lockstock, I think that uh, might have some some steam. Dead Presidents is on there. Yeah, uh, set it off. I was a huge bank robbery uh, fan, uh, and Dead Presidents and Set It Off are both fantastic entries, especially going into like the psyche of the robber. You know, 
Three Kings. Yeah, big big fan of Three Kings. Uh, great story. Lots of humor. I, I saw it years after it came out, and I remember I was still so engaged with the story. Your company. 437 Civil Affairs Company, U.S. Army Reserve. My man, man, tell me something, okay? What is the problem with Michael Jackson? What do you mean? What is the problem with Michael Jackson? What is the problem with Michael Jackson? You understand my question? No, I'm not sure I do. The king of pop. Woohoo. Hee-hee. Yeah, Michael Jackson. He come to Egypt, I see picture in newspaper. Hello, with the white glove. I'm Michael Jackson in my hotel room with my shop-up face. Your country making shop-up his face. I don't think so. Michael Jackson is pop king of sick fucking country. Yeah, it has a lot of realism in it. It's a realistic kind of heist. But also there's a lot of seriousness to it because, you know, it's it's set more in a modern war. I've always enjoyed Three Kings. I included two Guy Ritchie films, two Tarantino flicks. Motherfucking Point Break is in there. Usual Suspects, always a great one. I did the remakes of both The Italian Job and Thomas Crown Affair. There was some pushback on, on choosing the remakes, but in the demographics of our group, I feel like if you put the originals in there, it wouldn't get much play. Steve McQueen and Faye Dunaway in The Thomas Crown Affair. Let's start with the money. Well, I don't have it. No, what would you do if you did? Point Break is definitely a dark horse. Um, that's got a lot of fanfare. I mean, everybody loves that movie. Uh, but also, I, the most recent Baby Driver, I was a big fan of. Man, that was a great, fun flick. That that's that's one of my favorites of the last decade. But don't forget this Heat Seeker match, the National Treasure versus Inception. <laughs> we talked about the the love of Nicolas Cage in our group. I wonder if that's going to play a heavy hand, or if people are just going to submit to the Nolan regime. It's not always about the better film in these brackets. You know this. I mean, did they steal the Declaration of Independence and Inception? Beautiful. Huh. No idea what you said. It means if there's something wrong, those who have the ability to take action have the responsibility to take action. I'm going to steal it. <clears throat> what? I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Um, you know that that's going to be a fun one to see where it goes. Yeah, I, I want to I want to see where they where the audience is split. You know, I mean, because some would argue that Inception is not even really a heist film. Uh, I mean, it totally is. But bet 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 on National Treasure. Okay, okay, okay. That's a bold statement. You heard it here first, folks. On spitting the real shit. Uh, Rywin's going National Treasure overall in that match. So before we move on to our main focus, maybe want to play a game before we before we started. I want to play a game. The rules are simple. All you have to do is sit here and talk to me. Listen to me. Let's play a game. I posted actually just now before we start recording. This is just an idea I've always had. I love the double feature question. Basically, like you pick a subject and you say, show me two movies that would best represent this person or this idea or this filmmaker. And then you have to figure out which order they go in as well. What, what would be the best two movies to represent this thing? And in what order are you showing it? Um, and that's the task here tonight. Rylan's going to give his double feature and explain why and then in what order. And then I'm going to do the same. And then that's it. That's the game. 
So, Ryland, I know you're a big Ed Harris fan. I love me some Ed, man. He's great. And so uh, I, I know you, you probably have a lot of options, but what 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 double feature are you wanting to recommend to everybody? It's funny. I've made the joke with you before. I'm like, does this man age? Because he kind of has always looked the same way. There's some young Ed Harris you can find out there. But to me, he was just always your dad or your uncle uh, throughout film. I'm going to start off. My first pick for the double feature is going to be The Abyss. When I was growing up as a kid, I, I was a, I loved the ocean and I wanted to be a marine biologist one day. So this movie appealed to me so much just by the fact that it's this team that's on the bottom of the ocean. And uh, don't want to spoil anything for you if, you if you haven't seen The Abyss, but it's got a lot of sci-fi aspects to it. You know, a lot of practical effects. I mean, they were doing all this stuff underwater. It's It, it was a nightmare to make. But to me, it just it's such a cool adventure film. Really good twists and turns. Great acting. Ed Harris is phenomenal. The scene where she drowns and he brings her back to life is still one of my favorite scenes of all time. Come on, breathe, baby. God damn it, breathe. God damn it, you bitch! You never backed away from anything in your life! Now fight! 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 Right now! Do it! Fight, god damn it! Fight! 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 That's it, Lindsay. That's it, Lindsay. You can do it. That's it, Lindsay. Come on back, baby. Come on. You can do it, baby. (laughs) Great film to watch. If you've not seen The Abyss, check it out. And with my second pick, I'm going to go with probably one most people have seen, and that's Enemy at the Gates. I think it's 2001. Great story about a Russian versus a German sniper. They're in the middle of World War One. Ed Harris plays the villain, of course. Awesome, awesome pins and needles type of film because, like I said, it's two snipers pinned against each other. It is definitely a, a fun one to, to rewatch. I, I rewatched it this week, actually. Amazing soundtrack, amazing cinematography, awesome film. You don't have to hide it. There's no shame in it. You're Russian like he is. listen to them it's just propaganda he isn't dead and do you know why because i haven't killed him yet that's 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 proper praise for that and then with abyss i mean god that's that's like the movie that james cameron really wanted to make look at the final product i mean it's amazing it's an amazing film the emotion in that film the setting is cool i love Obviously, like I said, the underwater aspect, but the emotion in that film is pretty deep. Love that film. Like some of the visuals in there, we can't be recreated, you know? And I'll, I'll throw out, I will throw out an honorable mention, uh, is Milk Money. I've told you about Milk Money before. Uh, great, you know, coming-of-age film. It gets a lot of shit because it's just not a good movie. Ed Harris plays the uh, the divorced dad. This movie would never be able to be made now, but, you know, it's a, it's a coming-of-age movie that I always enjoyed. I don't know why I watched it or why I enjoyed it as much as I did, but... It's a good one. It's an honorable mention worthy. And Milk Money is actually my first Ed Harris. I, I watched The Abyss later. It's a fun fact from my from my fan standpoint. If I were going to suggest a Ed Harris double feature, I would have to go with first David Cronenberg's A History of Violence, uh, where he plays the heavy against uh, Viggo Mortensen's good guy. But I mean, with this movie, like they're all just bad guys. Oh, he knows Carl Fogarty, all right. He knows me intimately. 
See? This isn't a completely dead eye. It still works a bit. Problem is, the only thing I can see with it is Joey Cusack. And it can see right through him. Right through your husband, Edie. See what's inside him, what makes him tick. He's still the same guy. Fucking awesome film. Ed Harris, I mean, he's got the, the accent down. He's got the scar on his face. It's, he's like a different guy. He usually plays nice guy, the divorced dad, the hero. So to see him as a as a hard ass, and I love Vigo in that that role. Really, really good film. And a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of film guys that I know always say good things about it. Like like Ed Harris, I put him in the same like category as like a Robert Duvall, like like a rugged guy, like a real leathery guy. History of Violence is a perfect example of of his leatheriness. Just that you know, just the the uh, formidable foe. Like you see this guy and you see how talented he is, like with, you know, hand to hand combat and, you know, just, you know, basic military stuff. Uh, and then you see Ed, Ed Harris and he's just so menacing looking and he just seems so formidable to uh, to Vigo's uh, good guy. You know, it, it's a it's a late entry in the Cronenberg canon, but it's so good. And I was going to round out the night uh, with Ron Howard's Apollo 13. Now, I know he doesn't even play the fourth highest casting role in this film. But he is very much a huge part of this film. He plays the flight coordinator for the Apollo 13. Uh, he's there at the control desk the entire time. It's just kind of that stoic Ed Harris again. If everybody else loses it, he's got to be the one to keep it together. And I think he played it just down the middle and perfect. Like whenever he rejoiced, he didn't rejoice a whole lot. So when you saw it, it was even more powerful. I know it's not a Ed Harris film, but I think uh, he lends a lot to it. Now, in the meantime, we're going to have a frozen command module up there. In a couple days, we're going to have to power it up using nothing but the re-entry batteries. Yeah, we've been tried before. Hell, we've never even simulated it before, Gene. Well, we're going to have to figure it out. I want people in our simulators working re-entry scenarios. I want you guys to find every engineer who designed every switch, every circuit, every transistor, and every light bulb that's up there. Then I want you to talk to the guy in the assembly line who actually built the thing. Find out how to squeeze every amp out of both of these goddamn machines. I want this mark all the way back to Earth with time to spare. We never lost an American in space. We're sure as hell not going to lose one on my watch. Failure is not an option. That's a tough role to take on. I mean, you're, you know, mission control leader of, a, of an Apollo mission. It's and, and Head Harris just does so well at being that stoic, like you said, character. And he really lends to just the, the time, you know, like like you would totally fit in in that era, like of the late 60s. Yeah, but I do have some honorable mentions. Uh, if I were going to suggest any other Ed, Ed Harris films, if you're, if if that if that name eludes you, a movie called Pollock, where he plays the famous Jackson Pollock painter, uh, got nominated for an Oscar for that one. Uh, Truman Show also nominated for an Oscar. He plays um, God, what's his name in that one? Uh, He's God, practically. Yes, but that that monologue he makes explaining him, you know, it's so powerful. Um, Snowpiercer. Uh, where he reaches the back of the train. There's Ed Harris. Uh, the Rock. You know, he plays the commander on the on the other side. The you know, uh, the fallen soldier advocate. You know, uh, Needful Things. He played the lead. Uh, he played the sheriff in the small town where that uh, that evil guy sets up shop. And then of course he played uh, John Glenn in The Right Stuff. Uh, but yeah, that's that's my double feature. If you wanna you wanna take us up on our double feature, we'd love to hear about it, guys. Uh, we always do a discussion thread every single week. So uh, if you do, let us know. 
But uh, as for right now, you want to jump into our main focus here tonight, Rylan? Let's go. I'm ready. All righty. Uh, today we are celebrating the works of Aaron Sorkin with a double feature of Moneyball and the trial of the Chicago 7. There are rich teams and there are poor teams. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. That's a dollar, man. What? Welcome to Oakland. I need more money. We're not New York. Find players with the money that we do have. I like Perez. Got an ugly girlfriend. Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. You guys are talking the same old nonsense. Like we're looking for Fabio. We got to think differently. Who's Fabio? Your goal shouldn't be to buy players. Your goal should be to buy wins. And in order to buy wins, you need to buy runs. Who are you? I'm Peter Brand. First job in baseball? It's my first job anywhere. We're going to shake things up. Why don't you walk me through the board? I believe there's a championship team that we can afford because everyone else undervalues them, like an island of misfit toys. We want you at first base. I've only ever played catcher. It's not that hard, Scott. Tell him, watch. It's incredibly hard. He can't throw. But what can he do? You want me to speak? When I point you yet. He gets on base. We are card counters at the blackjack table. We're going to turn the odds on the casino. I'm heading in. Text me to play by play. Wait, what? I don't watch the games. Billy Bean has tried to reinvent a system that's been working for years. It was a nice theory, just not working out. How long is Billy Bean going to last? He's proven himself right out of a job. In their minds, it's threatening the game. It's threatening the way that they do things. Hey, Daddy, do you think you'll lose your job? What? Where'd you hear that? Well, I go on the internet sometimes. Don't go on the internet. Watch TV or talk to people. You're discounting what scouts have done for 150 years? What the hell am I doing? What is happening in Oakland? It defies everything we know about baseball. Just plain crazy! If we win with this team, we'll change the game. This better work. I'm just kidding. Uh, so I decided we were going to talk about Moneyball first. I figured it's it's a good segue into the you know the Sorkin way. Plus, it's not traditional Sorkin. As, as opposed to the other film that we're going to talk about tonight. But uh, how many times would you say you've seen Moneyball? Uh, this would be my third viewing. I remember seeing it closer to its you know, release date. That was years ago. So it's been a quite, a bit, quite a bit of time since I've, since I've seen this. A few fun facts about the film. Uh, it's, it wasn't actually a film that Aaron Sorkin started writing. It was actually, he was a kind of a script doctor, and he got uh, the majority of the credit at the very end. Uh, but he did not uh, start writing this story. Uh, actually, the screenwriter, uh, Stephen Zalian, uh, who most recently got nominated for an Oscar for The Irishman for his screenplay there, um, he was the one who initially started writing, and then they brought in Aaron Sorkin after, I believe, a dispute uh, between uh, Steven Soderbergh and the studio. Uh, Steven Soderbergh had the rights to the movie, and he wanted to make like a documentary-style film. Uh, where it kind of dramatized it while getting real interviews from the actual people. But I guess the studio wanted to go the full production 
Brow to make a biopic. And I guess that difference made them split ways. And, and so when Brad Pitt uh, kind of took over the project, uh, he brought Aaron Sorkin in as a script doctor. And so it's not literally a, a Sorkin original idea, but you can see a lot of Sorkin in here for sure, for sure. Yeah, when did you learn of Sorkin? I mean, were you really were you a West Wing person? I mean, my first Sorkin, um, you know, I want to say a few good men. A few good men is where I saw it, and then I want to say the one where I fell in love with Sorkin was one that always comes up, which is that TV show Studio sixty on the Sunset Strip, uh, where it's kind of like a, a fake Saturday Night Live type of situation, but they kind of dramatizes it. You know, the day to day operations. This is not a sketch. Uh, this is real. You want to go to BTR? This show used to be cutting-edge political and social satire, but it's gotten lobotomized by a candy-ass broadcast network, hell-bent on doing nothing that might challenge their audience. And I, I loved that, and I kind of I kind of picked up the pieces, you know, where they left off. You know, American President, Charlie Wilson's War, you know, and then by the time I got caught up to Social Network, I knew exactly who Aaron Sorkin was. Uh, but I never, never saw the West Wing. You know, obviously, I, I've known his name, but I mean, I think he cemented his career, I guess, with the social network, with the Oscar win, his best role. But I think that's, you know, now he can say, you know, I'm an Oscar winning writer. You were told that if new investors came How much along, were your shares diluted? How much were his? What was Mr. Zuckerberg's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Mr. Moskowitz's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Sean Parker's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. What was Peter Thiel's ownership share diluted down to? It wasn't. And what was your ownership share diluted down to? 0.03%. The, the story of Moneyball is not outside the realm of Sorkin. I mean, if you look at the Sorkin's work, I mean, if uh, Charlie Wilson's War, that's, that's an actual story that happened. Um, Steve Jobs, the story of Apple, uh, social network, the story of Facebook, uh, you know, uh, like the, the other film in our, in our show, the Chicago seven, that's a true story. Uh, I think he really thrives in the true story, you know, aspect where he can really give wings to a dramatic moment in history and he can really up the ante, uh, and make it as, as, as cinematic as possible. Well said, I was thinking the same thing. It's a, he does a lot of realism. I mean, realistic events, real time. So what do you know of the, the director of Moneyball, Bennett Miller? Uh, the one that really impressed me uh, was uh, Capote. He directed Capote with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, getting him his Oscar. But again, I mean, if Sorkin is a fan of the true story, Bennett Miller, the director of Moneyball, is also a huge fan of the true story. And, and on top of that, dramatizing the true story. Um, like he did Capote, the story of Truman Capote. He did Moneyball, the story of Billy Bean. Uh, he did Foxcatcher, you know, the story of the DuMont crazy guy. I mean, these are all, you know, stories from real life. And I think that that really plays to the cathartic feel that you get with Moneyball. You know, like like you, like you kind of walk in, like you kind of have to already kind of know the lingo, you know, the baseball lingo, you know, that they're, they're kind of throwing back and forth at each other and how they're, they're talking so fast. You just kind of have to keep up at some point, which is a Sorkin-ism, obviously. Yeah, that's kind of why it appealed to me so much, because I am a huge baseball fan. Baseball has always been my favorite of the major sports, the history of it. Oh, and this this has got, like you said, all the lingo. The, it starts out in, in the playoffs. You know, these are early 2000s players. You got Johnny Damon and Jason Giambi and all these guys I grew up watching to play. So 
mm-hmm. you know, the baseball aspect of it on top of Sorkin's writing and, and Bennett Miller's directing just was so up my alley. Me watching it for the third time, it was just so enjoyable because it's a baseball movie just done really, really well and really intelligently. So as a baseball fan, do you remember this story in real time? Taking the Oakland A's to the streak and all that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, Rangers and, and Oakland Athletics have been in the same division for years and years. My first Rangers baseball game ever, I think, was 88 against the A's. So it was cool to, yeah, go back and, and remember that time. But it really wasn't a story. You really had to be a super big baseball guy to know what, what Oakland was doing at the time. Nobody really understood why they were winning with these players. I mean, I wrote it down. I mean, it was $114 million versus $39 million. Obviously, it was the first of its kind. It was... It was such a cool concept of don't buy players, buy wins, buy runs. Super smart, analytical kid figured out baseball better than, you know, these old scouts. You know, and that was one of my favorite scenes is did you did you like that scene with the old boys in there? Oh, I, you know, when they were just like just hamming it up back and forth and uh, talking about, you know, the guy's look or whatever. Uh, these like 80 year old, 75 year old scouts, you know, that have been doing this for so long are sitting there going. He has an ugly girlfriend. That means he doesn't have any confidence. You know, like he's a good looking yeah. kid. He's got a good jawline, you know, like and Brad Pitt's sitting there going, this is you guys are dinosaurs. Like this is why, you know, you got to think different. This, you got to do things different. Artie, who do you like? I, I like Perez. He's uh, got a classic swing. It's real clean stroke. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Can't hit the curveball. Well, there's some work to be done. I'll admit that. Yeah, but, there is. Uh, he's noticeable. Got an ugly girlfriend. What's that mean? Ugly girlfriend means no confidence. Okay. Oh, no, you guys are full of it. Artie is right. This guy's got an attitude. An attitude is good. I mean, it's the kind of guy walks into a room. His dick has already been there for two minutes. So it was cool to see what was going on behind the scenes in Oakland to to get where they were. Yeah, and uh, I remember the first time I watched this film, uh, like, I I had to kind of, like, keep up. Like, it it kind of just throws you into it. Like, like immediate, you know, the credits are the the postseason of the previous year. Then movie starts. He's talking to the owner. Or he's talking to the scouts. He he goes to Cleveland. He picks up Peter Brand. But I I didn't pick up on the little nuances. I didn't pick up on the fact that he was so done with the sport of baseball, but that he still incredibly loved the sport of baseball. Like like he hates it and he loves it at the exact same time. Yeah, I love that Bean's a pretty eccentric character. It's a great story, but I think Billy Bean is really the reason why this story is so dynamic. And and Brad Pitt, to me, a lot he gets a lot of heat for his looks or whatever, but he's such a good actor. He's picked he picks such good roles to me. And this was just another one on his list. I mean, it's just a very well put together film. And throwing the baseball aspect, I was loving it. And he was eating all over this movie. Like Brad Pitt loves eating stuff uh, in his movies. So. Uh, what would you say is your favorite scene from Moneyball? There's some of the scenes that I enjoyed, which I thought gave it a little bit of a personal touch, was the scenes with his daughter. Brad Pitt is, is a pretty good actor, and he shows it there. But I, I don't know. I think my favorite clip is when him and Jonah Hill's character are negotiating back and forth for that last-minute trade on the phone. You know, they're really trying to do some things to get this player. And Okay, so Billy says he'll pay for Rincon himself. But when he sells him for more money next year... He's keeping the profit. Okay, thank you very much. We'll call you back. Thank you. Come on! Come on! I was going to say, let's talk about Jonah Hill. I mean, 
I mean, people put him off as just a you know a, a stoner movie kid. I don't think he had any chops until this, but he really showed him in this film, and and he's yeah. gone on to do a lot 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 of different things and done great things. Um, I think this was his his first appearance where people you know accepted him as a good actor and acknowledged him as like, oh, this guy can play a dramatic role really well. You know, that's what get that's what gets him the Scorsese films later on in his life. Well, um. Which scene are you talking about with the negotiations uh, where they where they try to get Rincon like the trade deadline? Yeah, yeah, the very end of the deadline, and yeah, him and him and Jonas Hill's characters are really trying to get this this player. I enjoy that scene as well because like I love you, you kind of get sort of a sneak peek into the business of baseball right. and how just expendable these people are. At you know at the very end of the day, you know like I'm just trying to make a good team, and if you can't be part of this team or make it good, then I don't need you. I love the the fact that that he still has that wall up, you know, in the very beginning about, you know, having to trade players off or telling them to, you know, go down to the triple A ball. Uh, but my favorite scene correlates kind of with yours where he where he's working the phones, but where he gives up Pena just to make the head coach played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, he made him put in Hatterberg, which is played by Chris Pratt yep. uh, because he kept he kept playing Pena every single game. Uh, at first base, and there's that there's that scene where Jonah Hill's trying to talk him out of it, where he's like he's like this is a huge but like, you can't do this man like this is this is the kind of stuff that gets people fired. And then Brad Pitt was like, like you need to stop thinking about it like that, you know, quit thinking what other people think. Do you believe in this thing like truly? And he's like, yeah. He's like, well then then believe in it. Like, and quit second-guessing yourself. And I thought that was the greatest moment in the movie. Even one of the people who helped bring this to Billy Bean was having shaky resolve when it came to making big decisions. I may lose my job. In which case, I'm a 44-year-old guy with a high school diploma and a daughter I'd like to be able to send to college. You're 25 years old with a degree from Yale and a pretty impressive apprenticeship. I don't think we're asking the right question. I think the question we should be asking is, do you believe in this thing or not? I do. It's a problem you think we need to explain ourselves. Don't, to anyone. Okay. Now I'm gonna see this thing through for better or worse. Just tell me, do you project we'll win more with Hatterberg or Payne at first? It's close, but theoretically, Hatterberg. What are we talking about then? I don't think that uh, Peter Brand's character was the sole heart of this. I think, I think Billy Bean and his ability to be a good general manager uh, was played a huge part in it. Yeah, he definitely had love for the game. He was a former player, high prospect that didn't make it. There is a young Chris Pratt in there who does well. I think he's great in that. I mean, this was way before Star-Lord. You know, it's, it is a baseball game, but it's still behind the scenes, man. This is, you know, players getting traded and dumped. And, you know, these guys are talking about it just so nonchalantly, you know, like they're like they're selling books or something else. You know, it's 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 a cool aspect behind the scenes of baseball. Yeah, but, but there's so many just great lines like... Uh... And he's like, are y'all having fun? He's like, yeah. It's like, y'all are losing. So why are you having fun? And it's all quiet. And he goes, that. 
That's what losing sounds like. Like it's, it's powerful, you know. It's losing fun. Is losing fun? No. What are you having fun for? what losing sounds like and then uh, my other one was whenever he's talking to the owner of the red sox he's like i already heard that he gave you an offer over in oakland why are you here and he goes because it's the red sox he's so enamored he's still a fan uh any criticisms about moneyball i think the pacing was a little long-winded some some scenes it's a very wordy movie i think it was two hours and 15 minutes i think you could have cut 15 or 20 minutes out of it it was just a little too long for me. But other than that, that's really all I can take from it. I think it's a solid 8.5 out of 10 movie. It's got everything I would want in a movie. Great directing, acting, grips awesome. The, the subject matter, baseball, it, it's, it's right up my alley, and I loved every bit of it. I guess if I was going to give this thing one criticism, it's that it was a very smart movie, and I think it was too smart for its own good as far as the audience it was playing to. There's so many baseball fans out there. But for the non-baseball fans, the general people, I don't think it helped describe the world very well in the beginning to where you really had to catch up later on. And uh, that, that was really my only criticism, is that it's, it's very cathartic in that way. Which brings us to our second film of the night, uh, the brand new film that just dropped on Netflix, 2020's uh, The Trial of the Chicago 7. We want to underscore again that we're coming to Chicago peacefully, but whether we're given permits or not, we're coming. We're going to Chicago to protest the Vietnam War. And there's no place to be right now but in it. We watched for a decade while these rebels without a job tell us how to prosecute a war. They're going to spend their 30s in a federal facility, real time. People say, you know, Abby, are you concerned about an overreaction from the cops? Holy shit. You all right? The words are too, so there. Are the people ready to make opening arguments? At the defense table. Abby Hoffman, Jerry Rubin, Dave Dellinger, Rennie Davis, Lee Weiner, John Freund, Tom Hayden, and Bobby Seale. These defendants had a plan, and the plan was to incite a riot. I call this portion of the trial with friends like these. <laughs> My trial's begun without my lawyer. The court assumes you are being represented by the Black Panther sitting behind you. The riots were started by the Chicago Police Department. Sustained. Nobody objected. Jurors 6 and 11, they're with us. Juror number 6 and juror number 11, you're dismissed from this jury. Can you tell us why? Because this is my courtroom. We've dealt with jury tampering, wiretapping, a defendant that was literally gagged. Hey, get your hands off me! You're the first to suggest that I have discriminated against a black man. Then let the record show that I'm the second. But when we walked in here this morning, they were chanting that the whole world is watching. If we leave here without saying anything about why we came in the first place, it'll be heartbreaking. The last summer, why did you come to the convention? To end the war. 
we're giving them exactly what they want, a stage and an audience. Yeah, you really think there's going to be a big audience? Here I am! This is what revolution looks like, real revolution. We may have to hurt somebody's feelings. Is this prosecution politically motivated? I'm tired of hearing you. It would be impossible for me to care any less what you are tired of. Here I have to find some courage now. How much is it worth to you? What's your price? To call off the revolution? My life. Open your eyes, cause a new day is dawning. The new day is dawning. Now, this is a project that Sorkin directed and wrote, and this is sort of a passion project. Of course, the political landscape being what it is was a huge motivator um, to try and get it done, especially around uh, election season. I, I want to say I learned so much in this movie. I remember my, my parents talking about the, the riots in 68 at the DNC in Chicago, but I never knew a whole lot more than that than just police brutality. And so I learned so much about, you know, the leaders of these movements and, you know, uh, their quirks. I was going to say the exact same thing. I, I'm, I'm a big history buff, and this was just a, a complete history lesson. It really was so intriguing. I went and I was like, you know, Wikipediaing some of these guys while, while I was watching this movie just because I had an interest. You know, it starts out in 68 in the United States. I mean, MLK just got killed and, you know, Rob Kennedy's down and, you know, you got the draft of Vietnam going on and just so much going on in our country the changing of the guard from democrat to republican the hippie movement you know and it's in its prime during that shift uh, in politics uh, and so it was like it's crazy you know it, it just shows, kind of shows you know how history kind of repeats itself in that way you know where people get angry and people protest and people they want to let their voices be heard for for whatever reason you know, the opposition, you know, that's that's the reason why they get quelched or censored in some way. And I, I love the fact that that they brought up that they were trying to get permits constantly, you know, to have park permits to be able to protest. People were just opposing them just because they didn't want to give them the, the permits. Like I said, I love a time period piece, a historical piece, courtroom drama, political trial, show trial, whatever you want to call this usually isn't my go to. But just Sorkin's writing and, and the acting, I mean, go down the, I'll go down the acting list. This thing is stacked. You have Eddie Redmayne, who's fucking phenomenal in everything he does. We have this list. I was thinking maybe Monday morning we could Jesus read the names Christ. into the record as a way of saying, a way of saying what, really? that whatever we're facing, you know, it's peanuts compared to well, what he's the guys. one who's going to sentence us. The judge gets to decide what we're facing. It is a goddamn trial. Political trial. No, we were arrested. For, the law doesn't recognize political no, trials. No, no, we weren't arrested. We were chosen. You've got Alex Sharp. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen's in there. Plays a really great role. He's perfect for this role. Great casting with him. Jeremy Strong's in this as well. Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, John Carroll Lynch is always a great character actor. I, I looked him up, man. He is a busy actor. The highlight of this film, in my opinion, is Frank Langella. Langella is, is it Langella? I always said Langella. Langella. He was Skeletor for me as a kid. He was he in him as the you know he. I don't want to say corrupt judge. Just he's so dynamic in this role. I think he deserves a nomination for this thing. I mean, he made the film. 
it's he's just phenomenal. He blew me away in this movie. Where are you learning these things? Does your young friend, Mr. Hampton, have a background in law? Your Honor, the other defendants would like to join in Mr. Seal's motion. Are you now speaking on behalf of Mr. Seal? No, Your Honor, I'm speaking on behalf of the other defendants. You're standing right next to him. Why don't you just represent him? Because I'm not his lawyer. He pissed me off the most. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's just that, that was the point of it. He was so good as this evil, almost, you know, shitty judge. It's it's almost comical some of the things he says how the you know some of the courtroom scenes don't seem realistic but apparently they are because this guy was was really a bad judge well i mean he was really going in on uh, on the bobby seal character yeah and just, and just just constantly stating that he had a lawyer when he didn't pulling my hair out watching the damn movie i was, yeah. I was like this guy what the hell is up with this guy I mean, there's some powerful moments of social injustice i mean when they bound and gag him it's some powerful moments, but it's Sorkin's such a good writer that he just puts these little hints of humor in there every now and then um, that lightens it up a little bit and rounds this film off so it's not so, you know, it just takes takes the edge off of it. Well, from what I took of it, it was a cultural revolutionist versus, like, the good boys, you know? Like, you know, they don't get along. They're, they're really, really on two sides of the fence, but they're trying to get the same thing done. So it was, it was funny. There was funny moments in it because they're kind of shooting the shit back and forth and the whole film, but it's also just so well made. And the, and it, like I said, the, the historical part of it to me is so intriguing. It kept me, it kept me involved throughout two hours and 10 minutes. And then I, I wanted to go back and do some research. Stuff shirt liberal that, you know, but still would voice his opinion and was very passionate. And then you have the other ones, you know, you have the, you have the little hippie burnouts, you know, like uh, Abby Hoffman and um, uh, Ruben. What was his name? Uh, Jeremy Strong uh, playing, uh, playing the Ruben character. He had a very, Tommy Chongy type of situation, but but he didn't he didn't play it for laughs. He played it he played it like for real for really. That's just his vernacular, and I, I thought it it played so well, and he he really uh, delved into that character. Uh, and then you, you like you got to see sincere sides of him too. He wasn't always played for laughs, and uh, I thought he was the one that really impressed me in this whole film. Besides Joey Gordon Levitt, I mean, fantastic performance. I mean, it it just reminds me just how good of an actor. Uh, Joey Gordon-Levitt is. Do you have contempt for your government? I'll tell you, Mr. Schultz, it's nothing compared to the contempt my government has for me. We've heard testimony from 27 witnesses under oath that say you hoped for a confrontation with the police, that your plans for the convention were designed specifically to draw the police into a confrontation. Well, if I'd known it was going to be the first wish of mine that came true, I would have aimed a lot higher. It's a yes or no question. When you came to Chicago, were you hoping for a confrontation with the police? I'm a huge fan of JGL, dude. He does, he's been quiet the last five years, and he's just such a good straight man in this. Uh, he kills it. Um, even Mark Rylance, who was in uh, Ready Player One, that's what I recognized him from. He had some powerful moments, uh, and, he, and he, he was really well in his roles. The, the, the ending is, is so well done uh, on this film. Uh, it is a historical drama, so it's not nothing's coming out of left field. Um, it's just the way that it's kind of presented through the Sorkin lens and the Sorkin pen that is really impressive. I think it's a great little moment in history that everybody should watch. Uh, I've always been a big fan of the historical you know, biopic. Uh, as a way to drive home the story of, of any true story. I thought it was a great uh, retelling of the Chicago 7. What about a little small part by my boy Michael Keaton? Love that oh. dude. As the former Attorney General Marshall Clark? Yeah. Uh, yes, and I thought that was such a powerful scene. And, and Frank Langella pissing me off on that one, too. Uh, but yes, as a director and writer, um, 
I thought it was a great thing. I can't wait to see what he does next. You know, I was going to mention just like the point of view of the film is kind of like you're one of the jury members. They throw you in the trial early and then they flash back to these events while they're going through uh, the court you know, process. You kind of feel like a, a member or you're sitting in the courtroom, you're being told the story through, through, through a lens of maybe a jury member. So I kind of like that touch. It was kind of fun to, to watch a movie that way. Because like I said, I had zero knowledge of this event. So it was all new to me and it was fun. I, I, it kept me intrigued for two hours, and uh, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. In any criticisms on the trial of the Chicago 7? I think the strong points are are definitely the writing and the acting. I don't think the directing is bad by Sorkin, but I don't think it's his strong suit. It could have been benefited by a little bit of a soundtrack. You know, it's the late 60s. You could have thrown some 60s music in there just to ground this movie out a little bit, give it a little extra something. I've always told you I'm a big sound guy, music, composer soundtrack whatever it is and i just didn't see it from this film that's a good point that you bring up i mean uh, sorkin's worked with so many great directors i mean he worked with david fincher on social network he worked with rob reiner on a few good men directs a really clean good film it's just not i don't think it's anywhere near as good as his writing yeah i mean he did steve jobs with danny boyle behind the lens you know i need more time we can't have it 20 minutes it's 8 58 we can start late Hear me, we're a computer company. We can't start late. Then I have another idea. What? It's deceptive and borderline unethical. I'm listening. It'll run on the 512. You tested it? Yeah. Wait. You're going to demo a 128 computer on a 512? Nobody's going to know. And you think that's borderline unethical? Name my other choices, please. Please. You have to tell me why it's so important for it to say hello. Hollywood, they make computer scary things. See how this reminds you of a friendly face, that the disc slot is a goofy grin. It's warm and it's playful and it needs to say hello. You're right. Like something gets lost in translation when it's the writer and director, Aaron Sorkin. You're right. The second you said it, I was like, you're right. I mean, this is this is all Sorkin, you know, and so maybe maybe a little artistic edge is what the project needs. Yeah, he's a little vanilla for me in the directing aspect of it. Uh, just a, a decent soundtrack is the, really the only because, like I said, it's very clean. It's very well directed. I love time period. It's a very accurate time period piece too. I mean, it looks real. It looks like it's the '60s. He does a great job at that. But I just feel like the, the sound and the and the soundtrack editing. You could have got a composer, but it's also that time. It's a time period. Songs take me back to a certain time. So all I had to do was throw in a few, you know, late '60s songs, and it would have just completed the film. I was so enthralled by the story that. I guess in my subconscious, I noticed that too, but I didn't even realize I was watching it. But yeah, so that's uh, our Aaron Sorkin double feature. Uh, there are several other Sorkin titles streaming right now on the, on the current major distributors, especially if this is your first time hearing about the man. Uh, go watch some of his movies. I can't wait to see what he does next. Uh, 8 out of 10 and an 8.5 out of 10 coming out of Ryland's camp. So he can't be bad. So I think that kind of wraps it up here, guys. I'm actually pretty excited about next week. Uh, we're bringing back our guests. The member guest, Ice Cole, will be joining us next week as we talk more heist bracket, including a focus of Hudson Hawk, uh, a deep dive into that movie. Uh, it's a movie that did not make the bracket, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about other heist movies in the genre uh, that didn't make the main conversation. And uh, we're also going to be bringing back the one-sentence review next week. Uh, so look forward to that lightning round. We have a lot of great stuff coming up in the next few weeks. Uh, just stay tuned with us, guys, here at Spitting the Real Shit. Super stoked. We're, we're loaded up for four weeks with guests. That's always fun to get another head in the room and just kind of 
shoot the shit and talk about fun. We got some fun films coming up, guys. We got they're they're all going to be different. They're all going to be entertaining. I'm I'm really excited about the holiday season. So we'll see you guys next week. For Rylan Johnson, I am Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. We'll see you guys later. Peace out. <laughs>